0: Welcome to All About Literacy. We've invited Melanie Dever to this podcast episode to speak with us about disciplinary literacy and math. Melanie is an eighth grade math teacher at Mill Creek Middle School and Dexter Public Schools in Dexter, Michigan. She was the Michigan Teacher of the Year finalist for the 2014-2015 school year.
1: And Melanie, we're so glad to have you. Welcome to the podcast. We're just excited about this conversation. We're excited in particular for some of our math educators as they listen to this podcast, but as we talk about literacy involves everyone. So regardless of our listeners disciplinary background, we're excited for everyone to learn from you and to hear a little bit more about how you think about literacy in your classroom. So Melanie, for the next 20 minutes or so, we'll take turns asking you questions and we'll just go from there. How does that sound? Excellent. I'm glad to be with you today. Thanks. Oh, thanks. Melanie, we'll start. If you wouldn't mind, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and then maybe what sparked your passion for disciplinary literacy?
2: So um, teaching is a second career for me. The first thing I did was I was an engineer. I spent a little over a decade in automotive. I loved cars. And one of the things that I found as an engineer was that the academic preparation I had didn't really prepare me very well for the kind of work that I was asked to do. One of the things I remember having to learn early on in my career was to write short. In school, you get bonus points for writing long and having more descriptive words and full sentences. And then I started working in the professional world, and those things were not only Not valued, but discouraged. Be concise. Be short. Don't put full sentences on a PowerPoint. That's not appropriate for that situation. And so I felt like there was a gap between the academic literacy skills and the literacy skills as an actual practicing engineer. That also, you know, extended to the content as well. I had learned how to Solve all kinds of thermodynamic equations by hand by myself without a calculator. And when I got into the work world, there was none of that. If you tried to do things by hand by yourself, you were not using the tools at your disposal and not making use of the quality colleagues you had. And so one of the things I'm passionate about is helping kids understand what it means to use math in a way that is authentic in the world outside of school.
0: So I love that you have that engineering background because sometimes some teachers don't have that second career component. And so sometimes the disciplinary literacy piece can be a little more challenging or tricky because they weren't trained initially in the discipline. They were trained to teach the content. So as we think about the secondary level, then Melanie, how do you see definitions of literacy changing over time?
2: I think literacy, at least in the, in my past, had a much more ELA flavor to it. And we talked about literacy as being able to read text in paragraph form. Um, But information comes at us in so many different ways in our world that being literate and being able to take in and comprehend and produce information really shouldn't just be limited to that. So I'm glad to see that literacy has a real true meaning in math. Just like we talk about fluency and comprehension in reading, we really need to talk about fluency and comprehension in math. Um, And we need to do that in the context of things that are meaningful and real to students. We know kids will work a whole lot harder when they understand the relevance of what they're doing And a lot of disciplinary literacy is finding and understanding that relevance and making it real
1: for them. Thanks, Melanie. our, Our next question ties into things that you've already talked about, but wondering if you could maybe expand on it. A question is, as you think about your students, as you think about colleagues, as you think about other teachers you've talked with and worked with, as you think about disciplinary literacy, what are some of the common misconceptions? You've already identified one, that at least previously we thought literacy equals ELA, And that's something that Eric and I talk about with our students. I just did last week about how just shifting that. It's not just ELA. And actually, ELA has a very different sort of form of writing and reading. And you've already talked about that in terms of writing expectations for engineers. I'm married to an engineer. And believe me, he definitely writes in very concise ways, sometimes in his emails to me as well. But I just say that it's bleeding out into some of his other contexts for writing. I'm wondering if you could share and unpack even more. What are some other common misconceptions about either disciplinary literacy at large And or as well with math literacy, what it means to be literate in math, in mathematical. I certainly agree that there are those
2: misconceptions that this is asking within the teaching world, this idea that we're asking everybody to teach reading. And that, at least in the past, has had some people feel like, wait, that's not my job. I'm not trained to do that. And I think broadening out that definition of literacy beyond, again, just reading paragraph form text has helped. I would say what what your husband is really being is efficient. Right. And this has to do with mindsets of different, different in different disciplines. So, in one discipline, we might think that using very few words to explain something is lacking details. Right. This is the thing your English teacher says I want more detail. I want descriptive words. I want transition words. Right. Engineers would look at that and be like, that's not effective. That's not efficient. I didn't need to know that it was green and soft. The fact that it was a pillow, because we interact with information in the world in different ways. So some of it is understanding that mindset around communication. In math, I think, ultimately math is about making sense of our world. And I think if you ask the vast majority of kids who are completing a high school math curriculum what's math really about, that's not what they would tell you. They would say that it's about slinging numbers around in an equation, and maybe on a good day, it's about graphing something. But until you recognize that discipline is fundamentally about making sense of the world, then all of the rest of the actions that we ask kids to go through can seem really disconnected from a teaching perspective, ultimately, we're all trying to teach kids to make sense of their world because we want them to be able to impact it and influence it in good and useful ways. But making sense of it in math and making sense of it in science and making sense of it through literature and making sense of it through history, they're different ways of knowing, but they're all ways of knowing about our world and making more sense. And so really as teachers, we all have that end goal in common.
1: Oh, Melanie, I am loving so much of what you're saying, and I love how, as we think about supporting our students literacy, oftentimes it comes boiled down to actually reading and writing skills and what you're talking about here is it's so much bigger right it's this mindset it's ways of being and acting in the world. And I love your phrase of it's using sort of our disciplines to make sense of the world or they give us um, lenses with which to think about the world. And I just love how that just makes our conversation about literacy so much richer because it isn't just about reading a text. It's also about the questions we bring to texts or to situations. And it's the ways that we interact or look for knowledge or define knowledge and how that can be really different across our disciplines. So yes to all of it. Thank you for articulating it. So then the next question that Deb asked. Do you see where we are, Deb? Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for that, Melanie. Given your experiences, can you share um, an example or two or how, you, how you've how you integrated disciplinary literacy in your middle school um, math classroom? What does that look like? So it's great to have these big ideas and descriptions and understandings of dis- disciplinary literacy, but often our students are saying, okay, well, what does it look like mm-hmm. in a typical math class?
2: So a couple of examples to pull from recently in this year, one of the concepts that we hit pretty heavy in eighth grade math is about slope, right? And slope is really understanding how one thing changes compared to another. And that's clearly a really important thing in our world right now is understanding how two things change relative to each other. We typically start with a pretty concrete representation of that, this idea of rise over run right? And stairs give us a natural, we can understand steeper stairs, flatter stairs. One thing we did this year is we had a unit on making our community more accessible for people with disabilities. And we had the kids spend a lot of time looking at the slopes of ramps, right? So this ramp in the cafeteria, we measure the rise and the run. We had the kids um, read some of the language of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and then some of the building codes Around designing ramps, how wide they had to be, how long they could be when they needed a flat. And then the assessment that the kids did for that was we actually gave them a photograph of a person's garage and some dimensions on it and said, design a ramping system for this that meets the ADA slope requirement. Right. And so the kids had to think about things like how to make the garage still be useful. So not having a ramp that went down the middle of the garage, you could still get a car in. They had to make a span of it that went for a while and then turned, right? But there were several different ways that they could have done that. And they had to do some scaling because it was a scale drawing that they were doing. So they were using some prior skills of proportional reasoning. Their, Their grade was based on the ramp system that they designed and their. Uh, defense that it was ADA compliant. So that was one that was cool. Another one that we have done sometimes around elections, particularly And this year, we did it in conjunction with the history teacher. So the history teacher was teaching about the structure of the US government and representatives and senators. Um, we looked at proportional representations in the electoral college. So proportional representations is another element that we study in eighth grade. And so having the kids actually go through and Compare how many people are there per electoral college vote if you live in Wyoming versus how many people per electoral college vote if you live in California, and then make a case for whether they thought the electoral college should stay or be changed based on what they had learned and defend
1: that with numbers. Some really exciting examples. And I'd love to spend hours talking a little bit more about how students experience that, but we don't have the time for that. But Melanie, a follow up question. Oftentimes I will have math in-service or pre-service teachers say, I want to think big and I would love to do cool units like that, but I'm really constricted, restricted to my curriculum. I have to follow sort of these lesson plans, this given curriculum that I have. I don't have room or space to come up with these really cool units. Are there smaller ways that you might encourage or suggest for teachers to implement a disciplinary literacy approach in a math classroom if they're not able to do a ramping unit or a really cool thing with a history?
2: There's a guy by the name of um, Dan, I'm in a, I'm not sure if it's Meyer or Myers. It's M-E-Y-E-R. And I can't remember right now if there's an S on the end of it, who has a great TED Talk about math problems. And what he's basically talking about is taking textbook problems. So if you have to teach from a textbook, tech- taking one of the word problems in it. And he actually advocates stripping away a lot of the information that's provided to make it be a more rich task for the kids. So typically in textbook math problem, the kids are given a lot of information and they only have to do one little piece of the math. He says, if you strip away some of the given information, then you invite kids to Estimate things and think about creative strategies for if I didn't know how big this fish tank was, how would I calculate its volume? What are some things I could use to estimate that? If you Google three act tasks, he has a ton of single problem. It, they're essentially a single lesson, right? An activity, many of which start with a small video of some kind of a phenomenon. They're aligned with particular standards. And they are very open-ended tasks that require kids to bring more quantitative reasoning skills on board, as opposed to just procedural fluency, right? Factor this quadratic. I have found that's the easiest place to start plugging in, right? Because you can quickly figure out where they fit in your curriculum, and they're pretty much pre-made. It takes a little while to get students comfortable with the idea that a problem doesn't come to them nicely packaged and ready to solve. But to come back to this idea of what I experienced as an engineer, right, the kinds of problems people ask you to solve are not the ones that are nicely prepackaged and ready to be solved. You do have to do some of that estimating and figuring out and identifying some boundary conditions ahead of time. That is more authentic work. And it takes a couple of runs through some of those three-act tasks for kids to get the hang of not starting with all the information they need, but having to figure some of
0: it out. So as a follow-up to that, and we'll put some of those links in um, the podcast, so it's um, with Dan Meyer's work and then also with the three-act tasks. So as you think about integrating disciplinary literacy in secondary classrooms, you've done a lot of, you've talked a lot about math, which is wonderful because that's your area of expertise. But why should teachers across the board who are at the secondary level, why should they consider doing disciplinary literacy? What would you say to them? I
2: think a combination of the degree to which it increases student engagement, kids can smell busy work from a mile away. And it's really hard to do things that are meaningful from a disciplinary literacy standpoint that are busy work. So it pushes you away from The other, I think, is really when we think about what kids remember years down the road. If any of us Takes a minute and thinks back to the experiences that we had in school. Almost nothing that we remember is that one last topic the teacher was trying to cram in at the end of the year because it was on the syllabus and they just had to get to it. We remember the experiences that had real world connections. And if we want our kids to take things from our class and have them mean things to them in the rest of their lives, they need to be more rich tasks, and those tend to be disciplinary literacy related.
1: Melanie, do you have any other resources? You already gave us two really great ones for um, math educators, but as you even think about your own journey and thinking and being able to articulate so well this disciplinary literacy approach to math and beyond, are are there any things that come to mind that you would say, I would recommend that teachers or pre-service teachers go here or think about this or read this? Do you have any resources? A community of like-minded folks to help you
2: keep the faith is top on my list. So there are professional networks across the state and it can be really disheartening, right? To be, especially if you are one of the first people or one of the only people in your sphere working on disciplinary literacies, it can be disheartening because the first time you try something doesn't work very well and nobody else is doing it and you're getting behind that curriculum and blah, blah, blah. So having somebody to keep cheering you on and keep inspiring you matters. I know it's really hard to make time to go to, you know, professional development sessions after school hours, but if it's with one of those groups, take the time and go. It is worth looking at the essentials for literacy instruction. Um, They read a little bit dry, but when I'm feeling stuck in a rut, for me to go back and look through those helps me really quickly say, Oh, you know what? I have not been doing enough of this.
1: And then I have a place to go. Thank you. And that leads into my next question. Many of our listeners on this podcast and the students with whom Erica and I work mostly are pre service teachers. So they're going to be beginning teachers in the next few years in the field, either in Michigan or beyond. What advice do you have? They represent all the disciplines, so not just math, but what advice? Do you have, as you think about your own experiences in being a beginner teacher? Yeah. And you've already shared some of it is to find like-minded people, right? To read up, to attend professional development, to find your networks. But what other advice might you have for beginning teachers? On a daily basis,
2: who you spend time chatting with when you're not with your students has a big influence, right? And the phrase I think of the people who are my marigolds, right? You plant marigolds in a garden because they enrich and nourish the things around them. You come to to learn over time who are your marigolds, and you want to spend time hanging out there whenever you can. It's really easy to slip to the dark side if you are always around and always inundated with negativity, with cynicism. And like everybody needs to vent, right? Like we all need to do that. That's human, but too much of that can be disheartening. And having inspiring people around you makes such a difference. I would say make time to spend time with those people.
0: <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, you can't see on the podcast, we are, Deb and I are both nodding our heads. I think that's true. So you have to find your marigolds and that's true professionally and personally, right? It's not just about the people who will lift you up and hold you ball and cheer you on um, and listen to you because we are also in a pandemic and teaching is hard. It was hard before, but it is a lot in this crazy pandemic. And so, yes, we definitely want people to find the marigolds for sure. So we, Deb and I have a tradition at the end of each podcast episode to ask our guests a fun question. This is one we did not send to you ahead of time. So you can't prepare. So off the top, what is an out-of-school literacy practice that you enjoy spending time doing? And we often talk with our students about in-school literacy practices, things that they learn to do in school, but then out-of-school literacy practices, things like hobbies or sports or cultural or religious or ethnic group activities. When you're not doing school stuff, What can your students or your family or friends find you doing
2: Okay. So this is going to highlight like the level of geeky that I am. And I wear that with pride and I'm all over that. I love making spreadsheets. (laughs) And I really, at the beginning of this year, I learned we had COVID, we had contact tracing and we wanted kids to be able to move seats, but we had to have seating charts. And I learned how to make QR codes to print on stickers that link to a Google form so that every day kids could come into class and they could scan in whichever seat they were at. And we would have a record of that without having to have done anything. And that was just really satisfying to me. I don't do it all the time. Like I also read total fluff novels, right? Like
1: vampire romance is kinda on my list. But Spreadsheets are very gratifying to me. <laughs> That is great. I actually think my husband would join that club as well. He loves spreadsheets and thinking, there's a literacy involved in understanding how they work, how you can maximize the most efficient outcome of it. And so you wear that with pride, Melanie. I think that is fantastic. (laughs) My husband was so excited when I showed him, I had
2: learned how to make the cells change in gradient colors based on their contents. That was like the happiest night of our week.
1: Melanie, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. And for those of you listening in, uh, we hope you enjoyed it and had a few laughs as well. Thanks for joining us on the all about literacy podcast. We encourage you to follow our podcast on your favorite podcast app. So you don't miss any upcoming episodes. So, friends, we are Deb Van Dynen and Erica Hamilton, and we wish you beautiful adventures ahead, as we all keep learning all about letters.